I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And, uh, you know, uh, Biden is uh, actually, I said yesterday, Biden's going to Saudi Arabia. I thought it was yesterday. It's today. Uh, He's going to uh, head to Israel. And, uh, you know, um, he he has the best approval rating of, uh, of his term in Israel. But it's, it pales into comparison with the approval rating Donald Trump has in Israel. He'll probably be driving down a road, Donald Trump Drive or something like that. And uh, <clears throat> it just reminds me uh, of the uh, election, 2020 election. Because right now his polls in America are really low, like 33%. And... Now the Democrats, the uh, New York Times and uh, other outlets, uh, other groups, don'trunjoe.org, check it out. Don'trunjoe.org. Basically everybody, on these are, these are Democrats. So there's 24% of Democrats that would like to see Joe be the nominee. And more than likely, they're doing that because of, for strategic purposes. Because when you basically have a presidential candidate where it's where you don't want them to run, it's going to be a hard sell to win the election, saying, you know, trying to sell your last four years when everybody's against you from running. So there's that. <clears throat> but don'trunjoe.org is a Democrat. They, they basically say he's, he lacks originality, enthusiasm. He's... You know, and and some of the people are citing age as the number one. Yeah, it's too old. But see, here's the thing. They knew that going in. They knew a year ago he was going to be a year older today. Right? It's not a surprise. They knew that in going into the election that he was too old. 
that he couldn't campaign, that he had to sit in his basement, that he couldn't fill up three circles. So where did the 81 million voters come from? That's my question. Because, see, if the reason for the dislike of or, or the flipping and turning of Joe Biden, if the reason was, oh, well, we, he didn't perform in Afghanistan the way we would have liked to have seen. We didn't know how bad the, the border was going to be. We didn't know that we were going to be paying 5 $6 a gallon of gas. We didn't know that the inflation was going to be at record pace and record highs. We didn't know how bad the economy was going to be. <clears throat> and so if you think about it like that and you say, well, okay, we, we were dumb voters. We voted for Joe Biden and we made a mistake. But the site like age is one of the number one things. That doesn't fly with the 81 million. That almost sells the point. It sells the point of that, uh, of, of fraud, of voter fraud. No way did 81 million people vote for this monster. And his son, who right now, I mean, Hunter Biden is all over social media, naked. All over social media, naked. Naked as a jaybird, photographing with hookers, and waving a gun around that he got illegally. And I just can't believe it. If that was Donald Trump Jr., how do you think the media would have played that? They're burying it. They're covering it up. But they can't deny it. And right now you can't get flagged for it. I guess you can on Facebook still because Zuckerberg is still as corrupt of an individual as there ever was one. If there's anybody that needs belongs in jail for a voter fraud... It's Mark Zuckerberg and his liberal ideology. Uh, He can't contain himself. He is just an outright election cheater because he hates conservatives so much. That's a far cry from who he presented himself to be 20 years ago. Or less than 20 years ago, 15 years ago. When he was trying to sell this open community concept. We are all on board with it. Yeah, let's get on and share our ideas. He sold our private information and he he uh, <clears throat> donated hundreds of millions of dollars to exploit minorities in minority groups. People who are desperate for his money that would do anything for an extra 10 bucks, an extra $100, an extra $1,000. They would do anything. And so he got them on the cheap, which is basically what this whole open borders thing is about. You can get these people on the cheap. Cheap is good for corporate profits. And we're doing our fiduciary duty to our shareholders. So it all works out. You know, it's that kind of thing. That exploitation. So Joe Biden went to... uh, she was down in in uh, south of the border, let's say. I don't know where she was. Colombia, maybe. Dominican Republic, I'm not sure. Maybe Mexico. But she was down there and she compared 
Latinos to uh, a breakfast taco. And, of course, everybody got upset about that. And I, I, I kind of understood why she did that, though. I understood why she did that. And it's not the take that a lot of people have on that. The reason why she was doing that is because the people that are coming across are coming across and they're conservative. And what she's trying to do is say you could be different than the Cubans. That they're, that, that they're, they're as diverse. Latinos and Hispanics are as diverse as a breakfast taco. We know how diverse that could be. And they said, do not compare and stereotype us to a taco. But she did it. Because, see, they don't really practice identity politics down in Mexico or in the Dominican Republic. Uh, Oh, she was in San Antonio. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that. So she was in San Antonio and she was talking about the Hispanics that are coming across the border. And they're as diverse because they're coming across, and I believe that they're coming across conservative, more than they would like. And they're like, you could be diverse. Democrats are the diverse party. You don't want to be like those bad Cubans who've seen what we do firsthand and don't want any part of it. So the Cubans are conservatives because it's it's uh it's obvious, you know, it's obvious. They come from the Castro brothers. They come from Cuba, they come from communism, they come from socialism. They don't want any part of it. They want the American dream. They want to be free. These Hispanics are promised freedom, but they're promised freedom on the brochure, but not anywhere else. They're not getting freedom. They're getting impoverished tyranny here in America. And there's so much so much politics associated with this. And this amnesty thing that you know is sure to be the next step. You know, just like Obama let the floodgates open, allow all these Hispanics to come in, and then he wanted to just give them amnesty. That's too big of a problem now. We didn't foresee all that happened. We didn't know all this was going to happen. And now we have a problem. It's too big of a problem to fix. The genie's out of the bottle. You can't put it back in. So rather than make these people half citizens, uh, we're going to go ahead and just make them whole citizens. We're going to adopt that whole um, three-fifths of a man kind of argument that they basically tried to block when it came to black people back in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, where the Democrats were opposed to giving black people freedom uh, from slavery. They were opposed to making them a whole person and they were opposed to black people uh, actually uh, having the right uh, to vote. They were opposed to all of that in our history. It was the Republicans that did all of that. Caller, you're on the air? Hey, morning, Scott. Good morning. Um, I'm curious. Um, Could you... So we're um, we're saying that Hispanics are naturally conservative at heart. 
I think they are. I think that they're family oriented. They're uh, and there's a lot of Christian. They're they're there's a big population of uh, Christians within the Hispanic. So, so um, besides being religious and liking their family, what makes them conservative? I just don't think that they've adopted the social welfare schematic that uh, that's been indoctrinated in the uh, black. I think community. they have. I think they have. I mean, I think in, that's in, what they're coming for. In Mexico? For. No, no. I'm it, talking about the people. Well, in, in, in I'm talking about South America. You know, in basically no. Well, everybody other is going to come up. Here. Everybody's going to come up for a free lunch if it's offered. You know, if 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 uh, I live in a building where really? when they have a wine and cheese. No, 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 not me. But what I'm saying is, in general, anything that's but free... But why wouldn't you? Well, listen, anything that, that's free tends to, to get a lot of uh, buzz. You know, when there's a lot of free stuff. Like, I live in a building, a condominium building kind of deal, where they offer an actual a, conservative a wine and cheese thing for, for free, free, and next thing you know, it's packed. You know, But, but conservatives understand that there is nothing for free. Okay, so what's your what's your point? Well, My I mean, point I get... is that I don't think these people are as conservative as you think they are. Okay, well the polls are indicating. I mean, okay, they're religious and well, they like their families. Well, I'm just going that's, on. I'm, that's go- a given. I'm going on recent polls. Okay, and the polls indicate that there are more and more Hispanics coming through the southern border that tend to uh, not be so happy with the Joe Biden administration and are more conservative. And I know that about Cubans, for sure. Uh, with the Hispanics coming through, uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of those people that are violating our laws right out of the gate. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more than likely, lawbreakers um, tend to tend to lean left. So, you know, it's, it's hard to say. MS-13 gangbangers might lean left. But I think that there's... Uh, there's a, there's a lot of people that are coming through the border, according to the polls, that are indicating that there's a shift because they are there's a larger population of people coming through the southern border that are exploited, feel like they've been exploited. They're going to take advantage of the free bacon, but but they're not necessarily going to subscribe to the way it was done. But they're going to take advantage of the opportunity nevertheless. That's where I think they are. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, I just wanted to ask that question because it seems kind of, I don't know. I, I know a lot of, uh, in my line of work, I know a lot of Hispanics. Um, and they don't really seem that conservative to me. Well, there's a lot of Hispanics in the boxing community and the um, MMA community. And the majority mm-hmm. of those Hispanics love Trump. So, you know, it's a cultural mm-hmm. thing, too, perhaps. I, I'm not sure. What makes it? Yeah, I, I was following the polls in general. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Th- thanks, thanks a lot. Bye. All right. So, um, you know, but here's the thing: where where I want to take this is with regard to uh, with regard to uh, the poll numbers and uh, the Democrats turning on Joe Biden, of course. Some of these Democrats are basically saying they think that um, Joe Biden's not liberal enough. He's not. Done, he's failed with uh, Roe v. Wade, he, uh, codifying Roe v. Wade in, in, in by law. 
uh, he failed with um, he seems to be failing with the uh, uh, well, according to some of the le- radical left, you know, g- some of his green initiatives. So what you end up having is uh, because he can't he just can't get the things done that, he, that they want him to get done. They don't understand politics, I guess. Um, and already he's been the most radical president we've ever seen, but it's not radical enough for the radical left. Who's more radical than Joe Biden? I mean, uh, probably Bernie Sanders. But Bernie Sanders is, you know, long in the tooth and not going to run again. Um, But they want more like Bernie Sanders, but they want a younger version of it. And that looks like it's going to be Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom, handsome, good-looking guy um, from California, as loony left as you could possibly ever dream of. And I guarantee you that's going to come back to haunt them because nowhere in American history will we have ever elected a person like Gavin Newsom. And so they're going to have to trash Joe Biden. And they're already trying to figure out ways to get Joe Biden not to run. They're going to figure that out. They are. And then they're going to get Gavin Newsom or someone like that in there. And it's going to be a radical left situation. And continue on with their new world order because they have an agenda. They think that they're winning and who knows, maybe they are. I mean, because their agenda is, is pretty much this. Let's take a listen. The military analyst, the director of national intelligence, uh, they say that this could be a long war measured in years. And I think everybody understands why this is happening, but is it sustainable? What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay four eighty-five a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. But at the same time, what I... So there it is. It's about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. Let's listen to this girl uh, talk about this. Um, this lady was amazing, actually. I don't know her name, but let's take a take a l- listen to this. Australia is now the test mo- Well, I'm going to start this over again. Hopefully we'll do a better job in making it so it's not so loud. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Australia is now the test model for this martial law to be rolled out globally. Rather than locking down 100% of the population for an illness with a 99% survival rate, why don't the 0.2% people that are truly at risk of dying from the virus simply stay home? For all we care, you can wear your five cheetah masks, take your 57th booster shot. You don't need a government mandate to be a neurotic recluse. People really need to understand that it is our compliance which is causing this perpetual process of medical tyranny. Let's not forget that the end goal is the V passport. Without the V passport, absolute medical fascism cannot be established. Without the passport, they have no leverage over the people. Without the passport, they have no advantage and authority to dictate the basic aspects of our lives. So it's imperative that we understand that it is the passports that are most crucial to initiate the Great Reset. Without a papers please social credit system in check, their new world order just falls apart. And if that seems like too much of a conspiracy theory to you, 
please explain to me why globalist institutions like the World Economic Forum are so excited calling the pandemic an opportunity. An opportunity for what? This whole psychological operation was strategically created to make you exhausted. Exhausted to the point where you give in and take a shot. And it was James Madison who once said that if tyranny and oppression ever come to this land, it will come in the guise of fighting a foreign enemy. And that foreign enemy in the 21st century just happens to come in the form of a foreign pathogen with a 99% survival rate. There is honestly no crueler tyranny than that which is perpetuated under the shield of the greater good for the greater number. So this is really just a friendly reminder that government officials aren't these benevolent leaders with your best interest at heart. They are power hungry, perhaps semi-human creatures capable of any evil to pursue their sadistic freedom and liberty are always just one generation away from becoming it. Thanks, thanks. So, you know, here's the thing. I was at the doctor's office yesterday. It's a routine annual. And I was behind in a bunch of vaccines. Uh, um, just a whole bunch, you know, like uh, I think they call it uh, shingles is one of them. Tetanus is another, you know, there's a whole bunch. And um, I had about four different uh, vaccines that they wanted me to take. And and of course, COVID was on the list, and I had never been—I never got the jab for COVID. And like I say, uh, about a month ago, month and a half ago, I got COVID, and it was pretty much a walk in the park. It wasn't anything I—I I couldn't, I wasn't bedridden, you know. Um, I don't know. It wasn't bad at all, you know. I, I had a little bit of a migraine. I had. A fever for one day of a 101.5 that was mitigated by uh, uh, Tylenol. And so it wasn't that big of a deal, really. I've had worse, trust me. I've had food poisoning. It was 10 times worse. So in Mexico, no less. <laughs> but um, in any case, all I'm saying is is that they wanted COVID to be high, the highest one on my list of vaccines to get. You got to get this one. And uh, you got you must, must, must. And I still don't understand why this is. I really don't. Because we're hearing all of these stories now about all these celebrities dying off and these myocarditis cases. You know, Jimmy Kahn was the recent, most recent uh, person who died mysteriously. And it's always a mystery. And, uh, and there's this... You know, you just know it's part of this globalist agenda where they want you to get a vaccine passport. They'll convert that vaccine passport into a social credit score system. And they think we're stupid. Klaus Schwab thinks you're dumb. And that's the uh, that's the other issue, you know. So, um, you know, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be bringing on uh, Brent Hamachek. We've had him on in the past. And we love every time he comes on. He's the uh, co-founder of Common Ground Campus and a member of Human Events Media Group. And he's going to be talking to us about um, how we can debate our issues in a civil discourse, civil way. Um, But after that, we're going to get into um, this whole thing about 
the Bidens and their crimes and where we're being led right now. Because when Joe Biden sells off our our oils, our, our, our emergency reserves, and they go to company, countries like China, and then we have China meddling in our elections, and they're compromised by China, I, I think we have to talk about that as well. So we have we have a bunch of things that we have to be concerned about. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to play before um, uh, before we get there, get to the interview. And this is Ron DeSantis. He uh, said this yesterday about Zuckerbucks and election fraud. We are creating for the first time ever. Uh, in-state government and Office of Election Crimes and Security to be able to prosecute voter fraud. This bill now requires them to clean their voting rolls every year. And so I think it's important. Cleaning voter rolls is absolutely essential because that's one of the ways that things are being exploited. And then we got ballot harvesting. Let's take a listen. getting an absentee ballot that means make sure that's your ballot you know you go in to vote and in, in the process you show your id to be able to get in the polling place you want to make sure the same for the mail if you ballot harvest in the state of florida this is now a third degree felony that you could be hit with and so what some of these uh, elections offices were doing around the country is saying, okay, you can't do that, but we're going to take Zuckerbucks for legal expenses or all these other things. So we've expanded it like, no way. There's not going to be any nook and cranny. You are not getting Zuckerbucks in any of this stuff. Good. Zuckerbucks is going to be <laughs> uh, marginalized, that's for sure. That's good. Uh, so we have Brent Hamachek, who is... Uh, co-founder of Common Ground Campus and a member of Human Events Media Group. Welcome, Brent. Welcome back to the Scott Adams, Scott Adams Show. It is good to be back. It's been so long, Scott. I was afraid my uh, a software update might have popped the studio number out of my phone, but it's still here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's been before I, before I took ill uh, last year, I think, and then I disappeared for a while, and then I'm back on my feet, so that's good. Well, yeah. well, I'm glad to hear that personally, and the world is glad to hear it uh, collectively because we certainly need your voice out there. Thank you. So, you know, I was hearing your voice recently. Uh, you were on um, Newsmax, I think it was, or you were on TV yep. and talking about yes. your new project, and um, and it, it was a really great concept. And I love the fact that you're going to be taking this around the country. Why don't you explain the project that you're working on right now? Sure. It's pretty exciting. Uh, it's called Common Ground Campus. It is the uh, creation of my partner, Felissa Blazek, and myself. Uh, we came up with this uh, last year. And what Common Ground Campus is, is it is an attempt to replace the typical debate format that we're so used to on college campuses, where basically you, you know, we all know the drill, right? They pick two folks to come up on stage who are perhaps publicly known and have strong reputations. They go up on stage for an hour or so and they argue with each other and then the audience gets up and they argue through questions and answers. And then they go out in the student commons and they get in a fight. 
Well, in our case, what we're saying is enough debating. Let's actually try to find a way to identify issues and problems and then solve them in real time in front of a live audience. So what we did for our first program at the University of Georgia back on April 14th is we said to the students there, we said, look, we want to take on the issue of race on campus, and we want you to tell us what the problems are as you see them. So we had a group from Team Right. We had Turning Point USA students, and we had a group from Team Left. We had Democracy Matters students. And for an hour, we sat in front of a room filled with people, and we worked on three different race-related issues that they had identified on campus. And by the time we ended that hour, we had found common ground on all three issues, a way to move forward uh, that both sides could live with. And I think that uh, the reaction from the audience afterwards, you know, I, I give Phyllis all the credit for this. Instead of just having questions and answers or a journey, instead she said, let's have a pizza party, which is going to become a standard, a, a staple, if you will, of all of these programs. So we had everybody in the audience stick around and the participants, and the response got was generally like this. This is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like it. It needs to be done on every college campus in the country. So well, come fall, that's what we're going to try to do. That's an excellent idea. And you know, you had one rule during the debates or during the discussions. What was that rule? The, the rule was that nobody was allowed to say you're wrong. And, you know, what I did with the audience ahead of time was, uh, I, you know, I asked him, I said, so before we start, can everybody in here make the buzzer sound? And, uh, you know, and they all did. And I said, good, if you hear the words, you're wrong during the course of this evening, I want you all to do that at the same time. And the good news is we never heard the the buzzer sound. And, you know, Scott, this language thing is, is a really big deal. What we're doing nowadays is we use such strong language with people that is a carryover from the way we talk on social media that uh, we alienate people and we really kick in their fight or flight response. Uh, just by the words we choose. I mean, if you tell somebody during the course of a discussion, mm -hmm. if you say to them, you're wrong, you're also done. That's the end of the conversation. And, you know, we went so far as I told the kids, uh, you know, before we started, I said, look, if you disagree with somebody on the other side, try to even avoid saying I disagree with you. Try to say I see it differently. It's a world of difference in how you say things if you want to keep constructive engagement going forward, and if you don't just want it to deteriorate into some sort of a verbal fistfight. Yeah, you know, I love the concept of debates. I, uh, you know, Le Le you know, Leonora, but Leonora um, yep. Gate, she worked with um, uh, Judy Woodruff on, on an event, and it was uh, basically, I think it was, um, it was uh, uh, The Nation, versus uh, I think it was American conservative or something like that. And um, they had a debate on stage and it was a really great event. I mean, and afterward, just by chance, uh, some people went to the one establishment here in D.C. and the other group went to the same establishment and we all got together. But it wasn't or it wasn't sort of, you know, like a pizza party. It just was, or you know, by chance. And right. we, we left that evening uh, really feeling uh, pretty good about things. I think that that, 
you know, uh, one of the things uh, in wrestling, uh, growing up in wrestling, um, if you, uh, and this is a regional thing or a cultural thing, I don't know if all wrestlers do it, but we got together, we competed, and then after your match, you would walk over and give your opponent an orange, and you would peel the orange and eat your orange with the person you just grappled with, right? Win or lose. Right. Win or lose. It doesn't matter if you lost or you won. It doesn't matter. You, you, uh, if you were the host team, that's what you did. And that was really one of the best parts about the sportsmanship of the whole thing. And, you know, I think that you can – great sportsmanship – needs to enter the arena of politics because politics has really become, over the last three or four decades, it's become a bit of a blood sport. And that's why I think we can have friends and we can have a beer with a buddy, and then as soon as you start talking about politics, it gets jaded or it it, it it gets almost like a deterioration of things. Um, And I don't know why politics is unique in that way, but I think to address that problem, uh, you've done a great job with this, with this organization, and that is getting people together to where they can have discussion without uh, berating or putting someone down and then breaking bread with them afterward. I think that that is almost biblical. It's, it's a great, great format. Well, thank you. There's you know, a few things to touch on from what you just said. Uh, you know, the notion of sportsmanship, uh, those of us who might have, well, of course, now hockey's all over the country. You know, there's team in Phoenix. You know, when I was growing up, it was more of a northern-based sport. But we are all familiar with the after the hockey game in the playoffs where the, the teams get together and shake hands, right? Right. And win or lose. What we're trying to do with the common ground ex- experience is not just even have it be after the game and no matter who wins or loses, you shake hands. We're trying to transcend the notion of winning and losing. So we're going beyond let's let's see who is victorious because it's not a debate. And we're saying let's celebrate the fact that we just sat down and actually tried to figure out a way to move forward. Uh, we've gotten extremely good, Scott, at hating people in this country and what mm-hmm. I call the third person. So on the social media side of things, we're all familiar with this. So let's say that uh, you're a Trump supporter and you have a friend who isn't and they go on their Facebook page and they say, these Trump supporters, they're all a bunch of Nazis and misogynists. And then you go to your friend and you say, hey, I just saw what you posted on Facebook. You know, I'm a Trump supporter. And what do they always say? We all we, you, the whole your whole audience can repeat this with me, but w- without me saying it, they all say, oh, I didn't mean you. Yeah. So there. So we we hate impersonally, and then when it gets personal, it gets harder to hate because there's a cost attached to it, and it's uncomfortable. So the idea of common ground campus is to make it more difficult to hate because we're personalizing the engagement, and then and so then a last point. You know, you talked about why is it like this so much with politics? I think this coarsening in our language. And this this hatred we're seeing, I think it goes beyond even just our politics. I think now that our, our brains are starting to crave it, we're neuropathing and craving it. Uh, because you can see people on social media 
telling somebody they're a stupid, moronic idiot and a fool because of their choice of barbecue sauce for ribs. I mean, this isn't just about politics. It is about common decency. And as I like to say as a fan of Freud, the id is loose in America. So we're going to do our best with our program to try to maybe put it back in the box. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if you get any pushback as this grows and as this expands. If you get any and you start to make inroads into these discussions, uh, that whether or not you get um, pushback either by Antifa forces or sanctioned forces like uh, school administrations that tend to lean, you know, pretty far left. Well, well, we already we already have. Let me share a couple stories here with your audience. So, at the University of Georgia, uh, the first group that we approach to be opposite of turning point on this, and I'm not going to say the group's name because um, we we very much want to work with them. But uh, we, we talked to the student representatives on campus, and we shared what we were trying to do. And they said, well, uh, let us let us go back to our campus leadership and, you know, our sponsor on campus and talk about it. So they had their regular meeting, and they came back, and they sent us a nice email that had their proposed format for the evening. And it was this debate structure. And we said, well, thanks very much, but we weren't looking for a suggestion on how to do this. We brought you a format. We were looking for you to participate. Right. And they said, well, we're not interested. And I said, well, why not? And well, they said, it's because it's not a debate. And I said, so let me make sure I've got this straight. You're willing to get together on stage for an hour or so and argue with somebody, but you're not willing to get on stage and try to solve problems. And their response was, that's correct. Wow. So in, in addition to that, right before our event, you know, we had a small bench developed uh, of participants in case, you know, somebody got sick or whatever there might be. And we had to go to that bench moments before our event because one of the participants, who's a, what I'll call a team left member, uh, had a group of college professors sit down with them, apparently, almost like an intervention. And just an hour or so before our event, talked them out of participating convincing them that they couldn't trust uh, us as the as the uh, hosting group, probably in part, Scott, due to my background with Turning Point and Charlie Kirk and the unapologetic work I've done with that group over the years and with Charlie. So anyway, they talked the person out of participating. They pulled out at the last minute. And at the end of the program, when we talked to the students from Democracy Matters who did participate, and they were so grateful for what we had put together and done that evening and so glad they had joined. I said to the leader of the group, I want you to do one favor for me. I want you to go back to your group and at the next meeting you have, I want you to tell them that we did exactly what we said we were going to do. Right. And, and he promised that he would. So the way this will take off, Scott, is uh, if people are willing to trust and engage and sort of take a risk, right? Absolutely. You've got to be, yeah. You got to be willing to take a risk. Yeah, and you know, I re- I really think it's a nice touch, though, because when you can break bread after you know you can have a pizza party and socialize, it it alleviates that that tension. You know what I mean? That you might have uh, had when you were having this 
discussion of disagreement of disagree of the, of the disagreements um and then just sort of you know because everybody kind of kind of a uh, like everybody can agree on pizza right we all agree it's right. pretty good and you're from the chicago area um and uh I, that's where pizza's pretty famous deep deep dish well, pizza i got to i got to tell you i <clears throat> I moved here from, you know, the northern peninsula of Michigan, so I don't have a dog in this hunt, but I will tell you this. The reason they call Chicago the second city is because of the pizza, because New York pizza is the best pizza. Chicago pizza, this whole deep dish thing, it's kind of like a loaf of bread with tomato sauce on it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) I won't eat it. Uh, Give me a New York pizza here in Chicago anytime. I I actually agree with you, and I've been to Chicago many times, and I've had their deep dish pizzas. But I lived in New York, and yeah, I get it. It's a whole different thing. So I I want to share with your audience, if I can, uh, a little a little self promotion or not self promotion, but for the program, we um, when we did our event at the University of Georgia, we uh, filmed it, and we didn't just film it like you know like a Zoom meeting or something or a static camera like you might see on a YouTube uh, lecture. Uh, We pro-filmed it uh, with a crew that actually does television-type work. And then um, Felissa worked very closely with the team afterwards for over a month for all the post-production editing. And the full video of our event, along with some nice segment and clips, can be found on our website, which is commongroundcampus.com. And so I urge people to go and take a look at what we did. And I, I also urge them to do two other things. If you're involved with the university and you think the program would be of value on your campus, there's a contact form. Reach out to us. And the other thing is, Scott, is that we need uh, individuals or companies to sponsor these events for us financially. It's very interesting. Everybody. I mean, there's no exceptions. Everybody says, gosh, I wish the country could start talking again. And, you know, I wish we could have a more civil conversation. Well, here's an opportunity to put your money where your wishbone is and uh, to get behind the programs we're doing, to sponsor them, get your name attached to them. And we're working with young people, and young people are the future, right? A guy my age, hell, I'm the past. I'm just lucky if I've got two minutes of present left, right? (sighs) But. Young people are the future, and that's who we're working with. That's who we're trying to engage in conversation. So visit our site, take a look, suggest your college, uh, and reach out to us and say, hey, I want to get behind and support what you're doing. I want to sponsor one of these. Yeah, absolutely. You know, these events take money. Uh, I know firsthand these video videographers uh, these professional videographers where you could take an event that's so great as the one you had in Georgia and share it with the world. Uh, well, they, they don't come cheap. You know, they're very expensive. No, uh, they don't. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and none of this is, you know, to get down to Georgia and to set to, to, you know, to get the space and, and everything, uh, you know, it's a lot cheaper than the pizza part even, but, um, you know, it, it requires a donation and support, and uh, so the website is commongroundcampus.com. And uh, Brent Hamachek, I want to thank you for spending some time with the Scott Adams Show. It's a great idea you've had, and um, I wish you the greatest success. 
I always enjoy, I appreciate the opportunity to, to have me on to talk about what we're doing. And I always enjoy coming on your show, Scott, because the conversation is uh, intelligent and at a nice pace. And uh, it's just a refreshing way to be able to reach people and, and communicate. So um, anytime you're, I'm going to make sure that your phone number stays inside my phone. And anytime you want me to come back, it's always a privilege. All right. Take care now. All right. Thanks, Scott. All right. Bye. Bye. Brent Hamachek, Brent Hamachek from commongroundcampus.com. Uh, really great concept. Um, he uh, he shared this information with me uh, over the phone, and uh, we talk from time to time. He's actually on our buglecall.org board, and um, and uh, he's been very supportive of buglecall as well and what we do there. Um, so it's just a great all the way around. Um, <clears throat> all right, we have some time. I wanted to play this uh, clip yesterday, and it's with uh, Marsha Blackburn on Maria Bartirona. I want to play it before it gets too old because it was a good exchange that she had with Maria Bartiroma, and we're probably not going to have enough time today, but um, it, I want to pound forward with regard to uh, Russia, and what they're doing with our, you know, our meddling in elections. I, I want to also talk about um, Joe Biden's foreign policy a little bit. How you know I thought his he was weak on Abe. Uh, Abe was supporting Taiwan, um, and uh, and China, of course, wants to crush Taiwan, wants to invade Taiwan, wants to treat Uyghurs as prisoners. Uh, they want to buy up American farmland and starve us to death. They want to meddle in our universities and indoctrinate our children. They want to uh, invest in media expense, uh, investments to try to uh, control our narratives, and they want to finance elections and candidates on the left that they can control. So let's take a listen to uh, this exchange with Marsha Blackburn on Maria Bartiroma's Sunday morning show that I watch every Sunday morning. It's Sunday Morning Futures. Where the Chinese state media was mocking uh, Abe and uh, celebrating yeah. his death. Uh, we know that the CCP had threatened uh, a quote-unquote bloodbath if Shinzo Abe did not stop <laughs> advocating for uh, independence for Taiwan. Uh, what do you make of... Chinese state media celebrating Shinzo Abe's death. We know that these media platforms are run by the, the CCP. They are directed by the CCP and, right. and often are just a mouthpiece for the Communist Party. You're... You're right about that. They are the mouthpiece. And we know that the Chinese Communist Party is intent on this malign influence campaign that they are carrying out against elected officials. Last fall, we were informed that they were carrying out one against me. The FBI is following these. DOJ should be paying more attention to these. But you see what they were doing against Abe and against the Japanese government and the Abe policies, the economic policies, his opposition to China. So this is a form of their, as they call it, soft propaganda. 
they are seeking to influence not only the Japanese people, but the U.S. people. They are seeking to break down not only the Japanese institutions, but U.S. institutions. And the more we have done to close down Confucius Institutes and classrooms and sister city programs, the more they're pushing to get their people into the country, many of them illegally, as Governor Abbott was just talking about, and then infiltrate these institutions. Okay, uh, Senator, I want to get your take on the surveillance underway from China. Are you being surveilled by Communist China? A new warning from the FBI. Only members of Congress, but state and local officials, and carrying out what they call these malign influence campaigns, where they're trying to influence organizations and churches and schools and push them so that they will come in line with Chinese Communist Party ideals, principles, and goals. And of course, we know that global dominance is one of China's goals. Now, wow. soft propaganda is a big part of this. So using this malign, malign influence, going after people like me online, in not only the virtual, the physical space, to try to push public opinion against me and other members of the House and Senate, but also yep. to get down to that more granular level in your universities, your churches, your organizations. Yeah. Well, look, here's Christopher Ray this week on this issue. And then I want to come out of the soundbite and show you what Joe Biden has been doing with regard to policy on China. Here's yeah. the uh, director of the FBI. Watch. This is going to be the one time you you might like Christopher Ray, but for the most part, you know, of course, we think Christopher Ray is a very compromised FBI director. This spring, the Chinese government went so far as directly interfering in a congressional election in New York because they didn't want the candidate a Tiananmen Square protester and critic of the Chinese government to be elected. A former Chinese intelligence officer hired a private investigator to dig up derogatory information and derail the congressional candidate's campaign. And when they couldn't find anything, they decided to manufacture a controversy using a sex worker. And when that didn't work out, they even suggested using violence, such as arranging for the candidate to be struck by a vehicle and making it look like an accident. Wow, this is just extraordinary. Do you yep. see any foul play behind the murder of Shinzo Abe? Abe? Uh, I don't know. We're going to find out more about that investigation. I know they're looking at all options, but Maria, all of that will be information to come in, in the future. But it is so puzzling when you know yeah. this, why does Joe Biden continue to support policies that embolden the Chinese Communist Party and the well, axis of evil? Their let's friends, take a look. Russia, let's take a look at that. Run. Yeah, that, let's take a look yeah. at that right now, because I have a graphic of uh, what <clears throat> appears to be Joe Biden's uh, China policy. And it is a total soft on China policy. Uh, first, we know that the family reportedly accepted $31 million, at least, from deals in China. 
Uh, that is from Hunter's laptop. And uh, Senator Ron Johnson's investigation and Peter Schweitzer's reporting uh, fails to demand any COVID origins investigation. We have no evidence that Joe Biden ever brought up the origins of COVID to Xi Jinping and the five phone calls that he's had. He's failing to call for an end of the fentanyl trafficking. I have not heard him mention fentanyl once. And fentanyl is made in China, pushed through Mexico into America. And it continues. He has canceled the China initiative. This was an initiative uh, that was uh, investigating the uh, continued uh, Chinese intellectual property theft. He's considering lifting the tariffs on China imports. He sent oil from America's strategic reserve to uh, other countries, including China. And he is mm -hmm. pushing electric vehicles, solar <clears throat> panels and batteries uh, aggressively in his climate change agenda. And many of those are made in China. So what's the answer, Senator? Why? Well, the answer is this. First of all, you have to keep the tariffs in place. I was visiting with a Tennessee wire manufacturer this week. I said, hey, do the tariffs help or hurt? They said, Marsha, it keeps China from dumping into the U.S. You have to keep those. And secondly, sending five million barrels of oil, China getting a million barrels of our strategic petroleum reserve. Maria, this is dangerous. It's a national security issue. It would lead you to believe Hunter Biden is out here negotiating these deals because Unipac is tied to a company that Hunter is doing some business with. This is wrong. And people are it's fed wrong, up with yeah. this. It is a China first policy, not an America first policy. It has got to end. And it will end. It's going to end soon. Um, in 2022, we have to we have to take back the the House and the Senate. That's to be sure. And beyond that, we have to have investigations to put a stop to this stuff. And uh, Jim Jordan has made it very very clear that we are going to get those types of things, uh, and put a put a at least a slowdown to this until we can get. Either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis in the White House. You know, there's a recent poll where they had Joe Biden crushing, getting crushed. You know, like like we talked about. But in that same poll, they said people were more energized to vote for Biden if Trump was running than uh, than than the uh, if uh, someone like DeSantis was running. So, you know, that's just food for thought. But, you know, my my money's still on Trump. I think uh, he's he's rejuvenated his, his old plane uh, and he's got uh, that being uh, ready to roll out and start campaigning in earnest. So we'll keep our eye on that as well. So it'll be interesting to see how things develop. Well, you've been listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, be sure to check out buglecall.org and magapack.org to find out how we're advancing America First policies to make America great again. Use Red State as your promo code over at mypillow.com. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. We're a stand, the mound's getting steeper. And grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.